0: this belief land is your land back on the air it feels like only yesterday we were just recording the last time um maybe because it was only yesterday uh welcome back to the podcast everybody listeners you have the three uh uh the three hosts du jour the three hosts of the uh of, of the weekly pod here you've got uh mike krupka John Colosimo, and myself, Josh Finney. Welcome, boys, to the podcast recording session today. What's up? What is up? That sounded a lot cooler in my head before it started coming out of my mouth. Um,
1: what are you drinking coming, over there, Josh?
0: I'm drinking a... Um, so, when I was in Cleveland this last uh, this last trip, I just picked up a bunch of random samplers of platform beer. Um, I, we talk a lot about the Cleveland beer scene and about how like it might become the defining industry of that entire area but very specifically like i love platform beer because i love that every time i go to the store and pick up new stuff it's just random stuff and it may not be the kind of beer that i would choose to drink any other time it might be a style that i don't really like but they make really tasty stuff regardless of style this is a um we're gonna lose half of our listeners when i read this out loud but this is a basic beach which is a berliner weiss style, like <laughs> sour. it's just like it's basically uh it sounds like a wine cooler in a can it's a tart kiwi wild strawberry berlin rice and it is unbelievable and it's got this cool shiny delorean looking can it's, it's it's very fun it, Plus, looks, like dwight,
1: <laughs> it looks like dwight Schrute might have dropped it off <laughs>
0: it's, a little, it's a little banged up it's seen better days um for, for those of you just tuning in you missed a lively discussion about how um james bond was actually leading a, a whole couple generations of people into drinking vodka the wrong way which i didn't know was a thing And John informed us before we started recording that, in fact, that is not the correct way to drink vodka.
2: Well, it's not the right way to drink a martini, Josh. That's the big deal. Uh, The proper martini is actually gin, not vodka, and it is certainly not shaken. So just for any of you guys out here, that uh, James has been leading you in complete wrong direction for many years.
0: So the proper way to drink a martini is to make it taste like a car air freshener by adding gin. Gotcha. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) <laughs> I uh, I used to be a big gin fan uh, in my 20s, and then the it was either the 2007 or 2008 national championship. I can't remember when. Uh, I think it was the LSU one. Um, and I uh, I had entirely too much to try and drown what was happening. And and since then I haven't been able to touch it. And I think that everyone has that liquor. I think that everyone has yes. something that you just they just can't touch. And and for, for most people, it's tequila for me it's gin. White Russians over
1: here. <laughs> <Meister>. <laughs>
0: I feel like for as big of a uh, big Lebowski fan as you are, John, the white Russian story is probably a good one.
2: Uh, yeah, so I can do this real quick. The, uh, we were out in Germany. Uh, my One of my best friends who now lives in Cleveland, uh, who I met in Germany by happenstance, uh, we decided to stay up uh, late one night and just – Drink the crap out of some White Russians, which sounds like a great idea because
1: they're That's delicious. Not, that it <laughs> sounds horrible.
0: <laughs> it does not sound like a good idea. Well, <laughs> military, non military
2: people may not know that the uh, liquor store on base stays open all night, wow. and so there's no like, there's no like, uh, they don't stop selling liquor at 2 a.m. on base. So we went back, of course. And you're drinking milk and liquor mm. and cream. <laughs> you know?
1: Let's drink a down of milk. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that leads me exactly to where uh, the other part of the story goes. So, after doing this all night and waking up feeling as you exactly can imagine it felt like, we decided to go to the grocery store. <laughs> and as soon as we got to the milk aisle, both of us started driving. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I don't think either of us, uh, myself or Tony, have had a White Russian since, and that was probably 2004.
0: I'm wondering if the uh, <laughs> I'm wondering if the clerk came rushing around the corner, uh, hearing the splashes, and saw the aftermath and thought you just like knocked some milk off. The <laughs> 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 no, like, you were in the exact right aisle. To be, yeah, you were in the exact right aisle to be throwing up a milky substance. <laughs> What'd you do? <laughs> no. The shelves are slippery <laughs> so um for, for those of you that haven't listened to it yet this is the uh, first book, podcast we've recorded since uh, mark Sessler from nfl network joined us um we all are huge fans of mark's writing we're all huge fans of the around the nfl podcast so it was a really special deal that he came on here and joined us he was incredibly smooth it was just a reminder of of how great this stuff looks after you've been doing it for 20 years uh, and he was very um, charming and magnanimous. He, you know, you 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 guys all heard what we heard at the end, him saying, you know, the mistake here is that we're not, you know, sitting around having a couple beers, and, and talking about this as we go. So, um, Mark, it was great to have him on. Uh, we'll we'll definitely shoot to have him on again later, uh, in the off season or or next season, or or, or maybe see him uh, at the NFL draft if, if a couple of us attend that. So, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it was an incredible discussion, and it's great to see somebody with cleveland ties uh really making it in the nfl world and that's how i got to liking mark is because i listened to the talking heads just use cleveland as a punchline and he he's been uh you know reeling with the punches on that for a really long time and it just doesn't bother him he doesn't let it wash over him and so now in this like post cleveland is trash world that we we all hope that we're living in he gets to revel with his coworkers in cleveland being good the first person that they think of when you know something good happens with with Browns is Mark and that that's how it is with uh, my football watching friends is that everybody is loving this moment it's a lot like the Cavs championship run Cleveland was down for so long that them coming back up and then having a fun team and then having some joy is everybody's joy everyone gets to, to, to enjoy that
1: yeah absolutely I mean I've got a buddy from Germany who's been texting me from some some line that I don't even know you know trying to touch base with me and like Following along as as the Browns enjoy this resurgence and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been it's been an amazing ride so far. And yeah, like you said, having Mark on was great. Hopefully, we get to have him on. And I wanted to correct you because he did mention the playoffs, so there is potential <laughs> that that we'll be seeing him sooner. But kidding aside, yeah, it'll be, it'll be good to have him on again here in the future.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're uh, what I thought was really interesting from from Mark is that he came in hard in the paint on on uh, Freddie Kitchens. I did not expect that. And, you know, all Cleveland fans are having a greater or lesser love affair with, with Freddie right now, but he started from a platform of, it's gonna be a disaster if they uh, move, on, move on from this guy. And that kind of forced me to check myself a little bit. I was like, I've been trying to remain even keeled about Freddie Kitchens, and I've tried to be the voice of reason, and I know you guys have been, too, uh, to a greater or lesser extent, about this is what coaching competency looks like. This may not be what coaching brilliance
1: looks like. Mark is clearly
0: off the deep end on that. He really believes that this is coaching excellence.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think we've pointed it out on the show here, guys, too, right? I mean, we had the conversation about is this just competence, baseline competence, or is this actually uh, you know, a good – offensive coordinator you know at work and I think over the last few weeks we've seen that he clearly is a a very smart offensive coordinator not just in what he schemes up and how he attacks defenses but and how he utilizes his 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 resources and his and his personnel not just from a relationship standpoint but also from you know just a pure x's and o's standpoint Um, I love what he's been doing and bringing the guys in and getting their buy-in on plays and I put it out there on Twitter, and I'd love to you know debate it with you guys if you think differently. But as you look forward to the 2019 season, I really think that you know if you're going to do what's best for Baker Mayfield, that goes along with keeping Freddie Kitchens, and it's just very important to me to keep some continuity there, uh, to to keep a, a similar just vibe and relationship. It's I think it's what's best for Baker, and it'll be what's best for the Browns.
2: Well, I'll tell you what. like I, I can't disagree with that. It, that all sounds very good. And some of the things that you're looking for, you know, you, you get that first week in KC, um, even in that second week, uh, there's some gimmicky stuff. There's, you know, an element of the opponent hasn't seen this. So what you're looking for in this type of scenario is a real growth you know he's got to continue to build and build and quickly because we only have so many games and that's what he's done you know he's he's built uh, game by game by game but I would issue a word of caution you know um, we have seen you know even if he stretches this whole thing out eight games this is a game of adjustments and there will be adjustments made and while we can say something about his creativity and he's, he's making a very nice resume in that in that regard, uh, at the same point, we got to remember that it's going to be adjustment and then a defense is just to him and then he's going to have to keep adjusting through the years if, if we really think he's long-term.
1: Yeah, I saw something really great um, uh, from Jake Burns. I mean, when I say really great, I mean, like, if you haven't checked it out, yet it's an absolute must, but he dropped it this week and it specifically talks about Paul Kitchens has been using the running backs um, to 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 keep defenses on their heels. And what I th- I mean, he must have put tons of hours into this because he went through you know film from the entire year more or less and showed how Kitchens showed showed one look with the you know one personnel grouping um, in one type of situation uh, in week X, and then in week Y he went back with the same personnel grouping in the same formation, the same situation, and did something completely different. And he, he goes on to, to show multiple examples of this. And, again, to me, that's just sh- showing that the arrow is pointed up. Uh, it's certainly not a definitive going to happen, locked in stone thing, but it's got me really excited about Kitchens.
0: So interesting bit about that is um, Peter King linked that column that Jake Burns had written as a way to describe young and up-and-coming coaches who may not be getting the consideration that they're due for their next job up. And it kind of led everyone back to the debate of if you have a young up and coming signal uh, signal caller or offensive coordinator, do you have to make that guy the head coach if you want to keep him around? Or is there a possibility in today's NFL with the way that the NFL is innovating that you will have the ability to keep an innovative signal caller around for a number of years if they are not at the helm?
2: Well, and I'll tell you that that leads you right into uh, the idea that I thought was a little off the wall a few weeks ago but now is becoming a little bit more of a possibility and that's Bruce Arians uh, you know Bruce Arians presents where some of my misgivings to begin with are the Air Coriel system that he came from and he's been pretty vocal about giving that up and wanting to keep kitchens and saying all the right things that would want you uh, to feel comfortable with him coming in and taking over this team with him being as old as he is that would only lead you to think that uh, uh, like Freddie Kitchens would be less inclined to go take off after a year. Uh, You it's already somebody that is comfortable uh, from, you know, you know, those kinds of things. So.
0: Yeah. Do you have to accept Bruce Arians as being a stopgap? If you're accepting him, do you have to understand that you are having an assistant coach in waiting that is, is there to take over in three to five years as part of the package?
2: I feel like he probably do. Uh, be 66. He's had health problems. Um, I'm not sure that that's, um, you know, he's going to be long-term in any sense of the word. You know, I don't know what you think about that, Mike.
1: Well, no, sir. I just want to jump in and say that he did come out, or it was released today, um, that he did get a clean bill of health from his doctor. So that's great news, obviously, on a personal level. God, uh, he's so for- thirsty. You're right, I mean, Bruce, Bruce Aries is thirsty
0: every single day. He is like outside of the Browns' window with the jukebox up, like, like please <laughs> it's, it's, say anything. He is uh, exactly. like take me Browns and love you, please. Yeah, <laughs>
1: he's, he's thirsty. Yeah, and I think that goes back to our point. I mean, he we, we have all the leverage. He definitely is is putting all this cards on the table for the Browns, and I, I just don't know if. That, that's fine. He comes and he's here for a couple of years, even with a clean bill of health. And then, you know, if Kitchens takes over, that's great. And I would be all for that. And I, I think that's been an important turning point in my warming up to the idea of Bruce Arians is he's willing to come in here, not run the Croyal system, you know, keep Kitchens in, in place, keep Greg Williams in place. And that has me somewhat intrigued.
0: Has that ever panned out anywhere? Has a coach, come back out of retirement or come back from a hiatus and performed at a high level and then turn the keys over to a younger coach. Is there a precedent?
2: Vermeil, I think, did a somewhat similar, but Marks didn't really work out. Uh, but that would be kind of where I would point to as something similar to that. That's fair. That's fair. You uh, know, yeah, Mike yeah. Marks was an asshole, though. So, you yeah, know, there's fine. there's that difference to take, in, uh, take into account. Uh, Freddie does not seem of the – Mike Martz uh, mold. So, but that that would be what I point to. You know, Vermeil is one of the only older coaches uh, that you could point to that came back and had some serious success with the Rams, um, and he definitely did that with an innovative play caller and Mike Martz. And and you could definitely argue that uh, they forced him out too soon. You know, because they really did. They, they you know they were going to lose Mike Martz, so they basically forced Vermeil back into retirement. I'm not sure he was really ready to go. And I'm not sure they got the results that they wanted. Well, I know they didn't uh, once they did get them out. So. Yeah.
0: yeah. I thought that one point that Mark made that was on the air was was sobering and kind of bummed me out a little bit. We talked a little bit about the Chubbernaut nickname. He said that he was into it. He also mentioned that something that I hadn't considered at all is there's a lot of weird ways you take Nick Chubb's name. I, I hadn't really considered that. Um, but that as much as he loved the nickname Chubbernaut, that that was going to be something that we have to – get his blessing and buy-off on. And he's right about that. Nicknames never really stick unless the player or uh, the team embraces it. But I do think that if the Cleveland T-shirt company, which is unparalleled in its ability to spread propaganda, gets behind it, that's really what's going to be the thing that, that, that galvanizes the nickname movement.
2: If we want to have any hope of bringing that to Chubb, if I could say real quick, it's we need to have that graphic already. All right. We need to sell him, look, what do you think? This is you, Chubber dot. <laughs> do you buy into this? <laughs> you know, he's not a very emotional guy. You know what I mean. Like you got to kind of draw that out of him.
0: How do we draw? How do we turn this into a costume for when we go to the Browns Ravens game in Week 17? Oh, like, God. do we dress up as the jug, the Juggernaut but with a <laughs> Yeah, we got to
1: <laughs> we got to open source ideas. We got to figure this out.
0: Yeah, we do. We need to get behind this. Um, we're going to play a, a game that uh, we played before on the Dogs by Nature uh, podcast before, but not in a little while. We're going to play a game called Factor Fiction. Um, we're going to talk about some stuff that's Brown-specific and some stuff that's NFL-specific, and we're going to rotate through. My co-host has not seen any of these questions, so so this should be fun. Um, first one that we're going to start out with here, uh, Factor Fiction. The Browns' defense is actually trash, and we uh, we gave them a lot of credit earlier in the year that they didn't deserve. Mike, what do you think?
1: Uh, wow, this is on the spot first take type stuff, man. Um, I think the Browns defense is not trash, so I think that is a fictional statement. I think that we are probably performing at a, at a lower level across a number of different areas. I think that you know I think that we have a bend but don't break uh, modern day NFL defense in the making. I'll say that.
0: John, what do you think? You know, I'm going to go fiction as
2: well. Uh, there's a certain element of the truth to it where, uh, you know, if you thought this was a great defense early on, you were wrong. Uh, the, particularly stuff like fumbles, which are uh, very much uh, chance related, especially in recovering them. Uh, you know, those types of things have gone away and our turnover margin has also then come a little closer to the mean, but things like uh, passer rating and, uh, you know, how we perform in a, in a few of those like metrics that go all year. Uh, we are a good team against the past. Uh, we're not a very good tackling team, <laughs> you know, but, uh, so I would say, you know, we're above average, uh, definitely not trash, but certainly not the, uh, you know, the juggernaut that a lot of people, so now i got that word in my head, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's certainly not quite as great as many Browns fans wanted to believe, you know, after the first six, seven games of the season.
0: Well, you really Goldilocks that answer up by uh, sitting on the fence. I appreciate that. Um, in the future, <laughs> just like with Fuck, Kill, Mary, I'm going to explain the rules up front. <laughs> it is fact or it is fiction. It is not something you'd be nah, – I mean, it's fair. You can, you can take whatever stance you want. And I'm, I'm closer to you guys on this. I think that Mike's statement of this is a modern NFL offense – or a modern NFL defense that's built to do what will stop occasionally a modern NFL offense is um, I think that that's probably the closest thing to the truth. They're a defense that's built around applying a lot of pressure, hoping to get turnovers, hoping to have somebody make mistakes because if you sit back and play a lot of guys in zone and coverage uh, they'll do what the offenses do to Brown's defenses and they'll move up and down the field. My concern with the Brown's defense is that they have a lot of talent now. um, And if you need – Elite pass rushers, if you need three good linebackers and you need four good defensive backs to execute a good defense, then maybe the scheme isn't that great. And that's what I'm concerned about. Uh, fact or fiction? We talked about this a little bit earlier today in the group text, but if the Browns had kept Hugh Jackson, fact or fiction, they'd have the same amount of wins as they have right now.
1: So, Josh, I'm going to go with fiction. I think that the impact of uh, the Hugh Jackson effect is greater than any one individual player, and I think you saw that uh, just as the roster gained talent over the last few years, and I I don't think it would have mattered at all adding uh, Khalil Mack uh, to a Hugh Jackson coached bronze team.
0: So you're thinking they're still winning three or four games? Maybe. John?
2: I'm going to also go Fiction. You know, as much as I love Khalil Mack and I wanted the Browns to trade for him, and I think it would have been the right move for them to trade for him, um, he would have improved his defense quite a bit. But ultimately, they were submarining that offense so badly. You know, and and some of the uh, the, uh, DVOA rankings have really kind of highlighted just how badly. We basically flipped this uh, offense on its head as far as its efficiency five wins over the year, even with a, uh, a great talent like Mac added to the pass rush.
0: Yeah, I'm going to say facts, and I think that that kind of proves the first fact or fiction point that this Browns defense isn't that good. If, you, if we're saying that you couldn't add an MVP candidate on defense to a pass rush that's already pretty good and features four good to great defensive backs and have that be something that can carry you to more than three or four wins – I think the defense really isn't that good. And I think that that kind of comes back to the point we're making, even with the uh, the offensive inefficiencies. So.
1: See, with that point, Josh, I'd have to maybe disagree with you just because I think um, – again, I think if you keep Hugh Jackson, you probably keep Todd Haley, and you keep the same offensive lack of creativity, lack of personnel usage properly, all those things. You keep all those things. So – even though your defense gets better, you're still not putting up points. You're still not moving the ball. Baker Mayfield's still getting sacked. All, all those things are still a problem. Harrison's probably still your left tackle. I mean, maybe now I'm Oof. just drift drifting into fantasy Oof. land, but you, I guess my point is the defense could still well been great, but the offense would have continued to struggle and you're not going to win games in the NFL. If you can't score points, which we're very accustomed to in our past
0: factor fiction, NFL wide factor fiction, the, California quarterbacks can't play in the cold weather. What is the deal with Philip Rivers and uh, Jared Goff?
1: Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. We're gonna have to uh, bring one of the uh, one of our West Coast brethren to the show and ask them what what's all you know what what the deal is with that. I think it's a fact. I think you know this is one of the things that makes the NFL the NFL, and it makes it so great is that as the season goes along, the the elements change, and especially into the you know this late part of the year, it's. It, it it gets trying for anybody, especially someone just jotting out there on the field with you know with a uniform on. It it, it takes a lot of uh, a lot of grit, and some of those boys in in Southern California, and even guys like Marcus Mariota. I'm I'm surprised coming from Hawaii. You know, it, it's it's not a sure bet whether they can deal with the elements, the conditions, especially the wind. Those things, it's it's really hard to uh, to understand, and and, and and until you're in them.
0: Where's Tom Brady from? Yeah, I mean, that's the overriding point here is that just because they play on a West Coast team doesn't mean they're from the West Coast. Those guys are playing really bad football the last couple weeks um, as soon as the weather turned. It's kind of blowing blowing my hair back a little bit.
2: I don't know. You know, I don't have the data in front of me. There's a lot of, um, you know, I don't know if it's inbred or ingrown uh, ideas about dome quarterbacks and that kind of stuff with Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and those types of things. And maybe it's just a comfort level. Play the majority of your games in that type of weather, and then you know you have to deal with that type of stuff. Maybe it's more real than I'm making it seem, but I'm not convinced.
0: It's probably not fair for me to ask since I say something stupid every week. But is it is the term inbred or ingrained in you? I hope it's in, inbred. In you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like it, within like NFL circles, you know what I yeah.
0: mean? Ingrained? Yeah, ingrained ingrained in NFL circles. It's kind. Of- um, factor fiction <laughs> should we after last week be more mad about Jarvis Landry's ball security because I'm still mad about him carrying that football like it was a sack of you know rotten garbage that he was trying to take out to the to the can without getting juices on himself
1: I think I think if you're looking at it through a, a coach's lens you got to be upset about it I mean that's something you don't want to see your players doing you don't want to see the ball out there you saw it with Callaway as well but you know the week before I mean, it's, it's, it's a problem when I look at it through the macro lens as a coach. I don't want to see it again. I think his playmaking ability in that game made up for it in the in in the microcosm of that game. But uh, I'm definitely agreeing with you that it's a – if I'm looking at it just through the game's lens, it's it's definitely a problem for me. So, fact.
2: Uh, you know, I think I'm going to go a little bit of fiction on this one. Uh, I'm going to say that uh, they're coachable enough to get that out of them. You know, the Callaway issue, you know, he, he had run a few gassers. Yeah, he had a guy come uh, from a different angle, hit the ball out. Uh, so a little bit of an odd play there. And Jarvis, I don't see him do that week in and week out. And I think he's coachable enough that they can
0: correct that midweek.
1: I think we should punish him and Pete Smith by letting Landry play every single snap next week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's what the Don't Follow fan-sided uh, Pete Smith he has been in, on a, on a six-month crusade to try and convince NFL fans that uh, Jarvis Landry is overrated and is not a good fit and is, is, is costing too much. And on some of those arguments, I'm with him. Jarvis Landry sucks up a lot of money, and yep. this is a team that doesn't really need to have a $15 million receiver in order to have its offense hum. We have very clearly seen that play out over the last couple of weeks, but I just – it's a lot. It's a lot of Jarvis Landry talk, and it's a lot of – Every day, somebody new coming to tilt at the windmill about Jarvis Landry.
2: In a little bit of defensive Pete. all right. Uh, I think that it's the repetitive nature of it dude, when you see it pop up on a tan line constantly, over and over again. I think his overall reaching point is: Is Jarvis worth fifteen million? No, he's yeah. definitely not. He's uh, you know I think that's proven. Um, I don't think that there's an argument to be made uh, culture wise or or any way you want to cut it. Uh, there's no way that he. It's worth that contract. Is he a good player? Yeah, he's a good player. He's just not a $15 million receiver. Yeah. Uh, now, how hard you want to go in on him for that on this team? You know, uh, that's a that's another matter entirely. But, uh, you know, I think he just goes a little overboard is all I would say.
0: Yeah, I think that that's fair. And I, and I think that Jarvis – I'm happy Jarvis Landry is on the Browns. I would like to see what happens with Jarvis Landry – and Baker Mayfield, when they get a whole offseason to work out together, when you can build an offense around the two of their strengths, I do not think, as Pete has stated over and over multiple times, that his skill set is necessarily a good one given the kind of receivers the Browns have on their team already. And David Njoku and Duke Johnson, who thrive in the slot. Rashard Higgins, who should probably be playing more snaps in the slot. But he's a talented wide receiver. And I don't think that after 10 years of watching the Muhammad Masquaz and the Taylor Gabriels, and the Travis Benjamins soak up 80 to, to 100 targets a year, the Browns are in any condition to be throwing away wide receivers before they have a replacement in-house. You got the money. There's no reason to jettison them. It's fine. Fact or fiction. This is an interesting question. We know that the days are numbered for Ben Roethlisberger, that he is not going to stick around for another four or five years. Do you want the Steelers to go ahead and spend a high resource on a quarterback this year? Or do you think it pays out more to hope that they – are drafting high in 2020 and one of those quarterbacks is available. Fact or fiction, you want them to pull the trigger this year.
1: Fact. I, I don't I haven't done enough research, but I've enough of the people that I know that have done the research have have echoed the point that there's not a lot of good quarterbacks in this draft. At least as as they have stated. Um, I again, I I can't say that I've done the, the research enough on my own, but if you look at the, the Steelers, they've drafted a couple quarterbacks the last two or three years, I think with that exact same intention, and they haven't necessarily hit a home run yet with that. And so I think this is the year, if I'm going to say, put your, you know, put all your eggs in one basket, put, put it in the basket with the least amount of chance of actually having anything happening, I'm going to vote for, for that over the following year.
2: All right. Uh, I'll tell you what, while I was nodding my head as you were initially stating it, Uh, I'm actually going to go the opposite one. I'm going to go fiction because I'm thinking uh, they're going to lose two of their three next games. They're going to be in position to jump. And if it means that they're going to jump and grab Dwayne Haskins and sit him behind Ben for two years, I'm not in for that. (laughs) So if it means that you're going to stick and take uh, QB number three in this year's draft, I'm all for that. Take that. Run with it. I love it. Uh, But if it means jumping up to grab Dwayne Haskins at QB2, uh, I am not interested in rolling those dice personally.
0: I'm also going to say fact here that I would rather have the Steelers grab a a player this year, no matter who it is. I think that there's a lot of uh, teams that are coming up on quarterbacks that are aging out of the NFL that are going to be looking to add a premium talent behind them. I think that of the top seven quarterbacks in the league, probably four of them, are due for retirement in the next two to three years. So quarterbacks are going to be a valuable com- commodity coming up. This this draft is going to be one of the drafts you're, you're going to start to see guys uh, drop a little bit. So I think that this might be the draft that a team like Pittsburgh, who will be drafting in the mid-teens, in the low 20s for the first time, in, in the better part of a decade, will look to do that. And I'd rather them do that than pick up a guy like Tua next year. I don't think that either option is all that great. And the last thing I want to see is, is Dwayne Haskins on the Steelers for the next 15 years, but that's my stance on it. We can, we can dredge this up and make fun of me heavily after, after that likelihood ends up playing out.
2: I'll be here for that.
0: So good round of fact your fiction boys. Uh, before we wrap up shop here, I want to talk about uh, the Broncos game coming up. I've never been more excited for a Browns game. Cause I don't think that in week 14, as an adult, I can remember uh, the game mattering. So Right. Uh, I'm very, very excited. So it's a primetime game. It's 8.30 at night. I'm trying to duck out of a Christmas party at a reasonable time in order to get to it, and I'm already getting the death stare for, for the idea of that, but it is what it is. Primetime game. It's going to be exciting. Everyone's going get to get, gonna get to see what we've seen for, for a while. Is there enough uh, concern based on what we've seen of the Broncos' kind of resurgent uh, offense, not counting last week but the previous couple weeks before that, their defense playing up to, to expectations and the Browns losing players to where we think that, that, uh, that Broncos minus three line is, is is fair coming in.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I'm kind of with you, Josh, and I, I'm actually not going to be able to watch it live. I'm going to have to uh, DVR it because I, I don't have a Christmas party, but I got to do a camping trip that we've had on the calendar for quite a while. So i kind of torn about that, but super excited about this weekend. i I'm, I'm a little concerned just because, you know, playing on the road, we haven't necessarily been the best. i uh, been a lot better at home than we have been on the road. Some of the developments on the roster for the Broncos kind of makes me feel a little bit better about the the matchup anyways. Uh, you know, losing uh, Emmanuel Sanders, I think Sutton's a little nicked up. I'm not sure on the defensive side if they have anybody that's out, but I'm worried about it, but I'm also confident I think the Browns are going to continue to ride this wave of of, of just high-level play that starts with Baker Mayfield and I'm excited to see what what happens uh, once I get back from camping.
2: So I'll tell you how I'm feeling about this game. And uh, I know it's a road game, and there's certain things, and it's prime time.
1: So we've seen Baker
2: away in prime time, haven't we, OSU fans? Uh, I don't think that that he's um, scared of the environment. And I think uh, one of the things that's going to be important is coming out to a fast start. You know, don't let that, you know, all day tailgate build from there. You know, these guys have been partying since noon. Let's start quick and shut them up a little bit. Uh, The thing about them is as good a defense as they have, I think that's predicated on a pass rush. And while you might get worried about that, thinking about our bookends being Greg Robinson and Chris Hubbard, uh, I'll put my faith in Freddie Kitchens because our players haven't changed in regards to this. I've seen the charts, okay? I've seen the charts and uh, how Baker's only been hit X amount of times, like four times in the last couple weeks, right? Four uh,
0: times. That is a right? number. That's
1: crazy. Yeah.
2: Well, guess what, though? We got the same damn players, okay? So, Greg Robinson and Chris Hubbard turn into, you know, uh, Joe Thomas and Mitch you know, Schwartz. Yeah, sure. Uh, You know, over the last couple of weeks, that's not what happened. That's not what happens. And even the PFF grades will tell you that. Their PFF grades have not like increased showing that they've all of a sudden become great tackles. They're the same guys. It's become scheme. You know, the things that they do well, they, they, you know, they're working in a heavy dose of screens and counteraction. Those are the things that have led us to you know, a game against the Houston Texans where you've got J.J. Watt uh, winning merciless and uh, Jadavian Clowney getting a, a big fat goose egg in the sack department. Uh, I don't even think they got a QB hit in that game. Well, that's not because our tackles became better. You know, I know our interior players have been playing well, but they've actually been pass blocking that well the whole year. Actually not a gigantic improvement from what we saw earlier this year. A lot of people are surprised when I say that, but that's what's true. You know, so uh, a lot of this is scheme-based, so I'm relying on Freddie Kitchens to keep doing what he's doing. Uh, I don't think Baker Mayfield is going to uh, be scared. And, you know, if we can jump on him early, I mean, we can quell the crowd a little bit so we can get some calls on the offensive line. Uh, I'm not scared of this game, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I, I'm not saying that we got it in the bag, but this pass rush, this defense does not scare me.
0: I think that if you have a kid named Whitney Merciless and they become an accountant – or hell, anybody in the merciless family, and they just like they they become a regular job, and they don't become something badass like an NFL player. That I think that they've just like completely wasted a great name. What a great name for a for an NFL right. just amazing. Um, I hear everything you're saying. I'm concerned about the moment that the brands are stepping into. It's a big moment, and they're riding high and they're very confident. But but there is going to be some nerves playing out. And I'm concerned about playing at altitude uh, for a lot of these kids. Browns still have one of the youngest rosters in the NFL. This is going to be one like of their first time experiencing playing at that altitude. And I think that that's just an incredible home field advantage for a team that isn't that wildly off from where the Browns is right now. The Broncos have very good defense, top seven DVOA defense um, that, that's playing well at the right time and has definitive flaws in their scheme, kind of like how the Browns defense does. But um should should match up really well with what Cleveland's trying to do. I think that you're right. I think it's key to that the team step out and punch them in their mouth up front and get get ahead of steam. But I think that this is going to be the biggest test that the Browns have seen in the Freddie Kitchens era.
1: and I feel like that's kind of the way it's going to be each week for the rest of the season as this you know the rest of 2018 unfolds. And I tried to make this comment yesterday when we were on with Mark, but my, my mic was all muffled. And I think <laughs> as as we go into Denver, <laughs> but as I mentioned before, you know I'm nervous about it being a road game, but I'm confident in, in the fact that we can pull this out. And we'll, it goes back to the efficacy of Baker Mayfield and his ability to lead and his ability to go into any situation, whether they've got to climb Mount Everest or they've got to just climb – uh, you know, the, the Edgewater Hill. It doesn't matter. He he is going to do it, and he's going to take the team across the finish line with him, and everyone believes in him. And, and it's created a, um, a an infectious type of, of attitude in a new brand of football. And um, that's, uh, again, no matter how big the moment is, I think we're going to be able to answer the call as we move forward uh, this season.
0: Edgewater looks nice these days. Have you guys seen Edgewater? No, I haven't. It's really nice. Every time I come back into Cleveland, it looks a little bit nicer. They build more stuff there. The surrounding neighborhoods look a little nicer. There's people swimming in the water these days, which I'm not, I'm not swimming in that water, but there are people that are swimming in that water every time I go by that beach, which is crazy. It's, it's fun to see. When I was a kid, you used to be able to swim in it, but that was um, many EPA turnovers ago. So, um, Guys, as always, this is a wonderful podcast, and I appreciate the chance to talk uh, sports shop with you. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of excitement over the next few days as we get closer and closer to game time. This is going to be a big one. I'm very excited for it, and I'm looking forward to being on the other side and seeing
1: how they all do. Absolutely, man. It's been uh, it's been a, it's been a blast getting together with you guys as it is uh, all the time. And uh, don't spoil it for me. Don't no, no no Twitter messages. No, you know don't don't tag me in anything. Let me let me experience it on DVR. And um, looking forward to a, to a great game this weekend.
0: I will do that only as long as you live-tweet your thoughts as you're watching it on the DVR. Right. Like, what are we
2: talking about? Like, when are you actually going to be able to see this game?
1: I probably won't be back on Saturday till about, I'd say, maybe 5 or 6 p.m. Hawaiian time, so 11 p.m. Eastern time.
0: Oh, you're probably pretty safe. But also, if it's a win, everyone's going to be wildly inebriated, so everyone's going to be celebrating.
1: Right.
2: uh, Turn your phone off.
1: I may just go airplane mode.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Airplane mode is your move. Um, for, for the guys, for John, for Mike, for myself, uh, this is the this Believe Land is Your Land podcast. If you like us, give us a rating on iTunes. If you made it this far, we admire you. The Browns. Talk soon.